1: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet of fish
1: right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode of Into the Night was made possible by the unwavering support of our dedicated Patreon donors. Their generosity allows us to delve deeper into the mysteries that await us in the dark world of Five Nights at Freddy's. If you are captivated by the secrets we unveil and wish to be a part of our journey, we invite you to explore our Patreon page. By becoming a patron, you not only get behind-the-scenes insights, bonus content, and special perks, but you also play a vital role in sustaining the future of this podcast. Visit the link provided in the description below to learn more and join our community of Avid Night Explorers. Hello and welcome to Into the Night, a fun atmospherics podcast. I am your host Nick, and thank you for listening. Do you know how important you are? It's sincere inquiry. Are you aware of the inherent uniqueness and brilliance that defines you at this very moment? Recognizing one's worth can be challenging in a world steeped in nihilism, where the true lessons and significance of life often reveal themselves only upon reaching the zenith of maturity. Regrettably, many individuals come to appreciate their true value only when standing at the precipice of despair. Every human life not only holds intrinsic importance, but is also inherently precious, serving a distinct purpose and role. While its significance may elude you and may not align with your personal objectives, it could hold paramount importance and purpose for someone else or contribute meaningfully to the world at a larger stage. Mitch Albom, the author behind The Five People You Meet in Heaven, once imparted, that there are five lessons in life that seldom are comprehended in the tapestries of mortality. These lessons unfold as follow. Everything transpires with a purpose. The sacrifice we make reverberate in the lives of others. Extending forgiveness to others hold equal weight as forgiving oneself? Life is temporarily confined, yet love transcends even the finality of death. And every human life possesses An inherent purpose if you yourself are a decent individual not necessarily the paragon of virtue or flawlessness but simply a good person you likely perceive the world through this lens to some degree perhaps you've grown skeptical over time and perhaps you can't put it in this exact of words but these are foundational viewpoints to have for life and reason And even the most broken of souls will retain a faint recollection of this truth that lingers on within them this sentiment is precisely why i harbor a deep affection for the month of december and the prolonged aura of christmas that graces its entirety it's it undeniably constitutes a enchanting period annually as eloquently articulated by Bill Murray in his humorous parody of Charles Dickens' Times classic, Scrooged.
1: It's Christmas Eve, it's, it's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer, we, we, we smile a little easier, we, 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 we cheer a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. And then the miracle can happen to you. It's not just the poor and the hungry, it's, it's everybody who's gotta have this miracle. And it can happen tonight for all of you. If you believe in this spirit thing, you, you, the miracle will happen and then you'll want it to happen again tomorrow. You won't be one of these bastards who says Christmas is once a year and it's a fraud. It's not. It can happen every day. You've just got to want that feeling. And if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. You'll want it every day of your life and it can happen to you.
0: This isn't a case of honeyed words to make us feel better either. Murray's words are profound and true. Even in the worst conditions, that fire of hope and goodness still is eternally burning in the essence of all of us. In 1914, along the Western Front of the First World War, in the dank and muddy trenches, the day of Christmas Eve was upon the shivering soldiers of both sides, huddling together by small fires in an attempt to maintain warmth. Yet, despite this, in the middle of the night, the German soldiers began singing Christmas carols together around their fires. The melody could be heard across no man's land to the side of the British, their enemies. Yet, despite being on opposite sides of one of the most bloodiest events in human history, the British soldiers sung back. This unprecedented event that followed, as history would document, left an indelible mark on the collective conscience of humanity. Soldiers from opposing forces, braving the risks of no man's land, engaged in handshakes and exchanged words of kindness. Amidst the cold night, they traded songs, tobacco, and wine, transforming the battlefield into an impromptu holiday celebration such instances of ceasefires and camaraderie weren't confined to a single battleground. From Christmas Eve onward, pockets of French, German, Belgian, and British troops initiated spontaneous truces across the Western Front, with reports extending to the Eastern Front as well with the Russians. Though these respites were ephemeral, lasting only a few days, they demonstrated the profound capacity of humanity to rise above enmity, to embrace peace, and to recognize one another as brother and sisters, transcending prejudices and preconceptions to perceive the best in each other. How could one not hear this and think truth in Mitch Album's lessons? We are all intertwined in some way. Sacrifice and responsibility is a virtue, not a punishment. Forgiveness is intrinsically linked with progress, love is internal and we all have a purpose in life. Unfortunately, there do exist those with viewpoints antithetical to the one described before. Individuals who defy life's lessons, seeking to dismantle and distort the very essence of existence. For them, everything unfolds for the worst. Humanity thrives on self-serving deceit efforts towards forgiveness are futile in a corrupt world, love is a deceptive illusion, and death extends into an eternal abyss with every human destined to be exploited for another's amusement. Living with such a desolate perspective is a heroin experience, a worldview that, when pushed to its limits, can serve as stepping stones towards a path of destruction. For others, maybe, but for themselves, most definitely. And this slippery slope is nothing more than a downward spiral towards insanity. These are the souls devoid of hope or aspirations for life, humanity, or the future. Individuals from whom demons emerge, crawling out of the depths of hell to engulf them entirely. This is episode 20 Count the Ways.
2: Out now. <laughs>
0: Within the expansive confines of a venerable Victorian residence Standing sentinel in the heart of Utah for over a century and a half A peculiar room carries an eerie legacy A space where, undoubtedly, someone had met their demise In this room, shrouded in a morbid ambience rests a girl draped in black attire Embodying a parallel darkness of demeanor The notion that a previous occupant may have succumbed to death's eternal embrace within these walls suited her sensibilities, as she revels in the lingering aura it imparts. The girl's name is Millie Fitzsimmons, a name she deemed more fitting for a feline companion than a human. Presently, she calls her grandpa's abode a home for the year. Her parents, while intention yet unpredictable, epitomize a nomadic professional lifestyle, leaving from one occupation to another. They were job hoppers, hopping from occupation to occupation, and sometimes from continent to continent. The latest wanderlust foray for her parents involved her father taking up a teaching position in Saudi Arabia over the summer. When her father committed to a new job, Millie was left with a choice, accompany them on this adventure, as they dubbed it, or reside with her grandpa for a year. Millie perceived it as a lose-lose scenario, but faced with the prospect of homeschooling by her mom or navigating a new high school near her grandpa, she reluctantly opted for the latter, deeming it a preferable alternative to being stranded in a foreign land amidst life's uncertainties. At the very least, she could still be with her cat, Annabelle Lee. Named after a cherished character from the poetry of Edgar Allan Poe. Millie's grandpa, an eccentric collector of the penchant for the peculiar, amasses an array of oddities, from state plates commemorating his travels with his late wife, to swords and life-sized suits of armor. Porcelain doll heads reside beneath glass in a room filled with antiquated electronic components in a puzzle whose purpose eludes Millie. He was a tinkerer at heart, her grandpa, with wispy white hair and tan cardigans. He was a craftsman, but with a scientific aura. But he was a good grandpa and guardian. A modest cook, but he accommodated her vegetarian preferences, though he advocates for a meat-inclusive diet to counteract what he perceives as her pale skin. But Millie was content with her chosen appearance, deliberately enhancing her fair complexion with sheer light powder, complementing her favorite black eyeliner and attire. Grandpa's earnest attempts to bring happiness to Millie are met with a cold shoulder each and every time. Her firm conviction in her own misery, an unbreakable shield and unyielding in his attempts to breach it. Because in her view, happiness is a facade, a delusion that belies individuals to the harsh realities of existence. In her miserable room, Millie opened up her laptop and began reading some of her favorite poems about death, Annabelle Lee the raven. She just read a new one by Emily Dickinson that was about Death picking up a girl for a date. (sighs) A date with Death. The thought made Millie lightheaded and her heart beat slightly faster. She thought of Death as a handsome black-coated stranger who would save her from the misery that was her homework, her school life, and her pointless existence. She imagined he looked just like her favorite singer, Kurt Carrion. Inspired, she grabbed her black leather journal and began to write.
2: Oh death, show me how you ravaged face. Oh death, how I long for your chilly embrace. Oh death, my life is such a misery that only you
0: can set me free. Once she was satisfied with her poem, she sighed with the dread of what lay before her. She closed her journal and took out her algebra homework. She hated math more than any other subject, because what was the point of algebra in the face of human beings' inevitable mortality? The only reason she even tried in class was that if she didn't, her grandpa would take away her allowance, and she was trying to save up for some morning jewelry. As she was finishing up her first page of assignments, she heard a knock at her door. Her grandpa had walked in with a plate full of warm cookies and a glass of milk. Study fuel, as he liked to call it. Millie was at first dismissive, stating that she wasn't a kid whose happiness could be bought with a few cookies. But the moment her grandpa asked if he wanted to take them away, she quickly asked him to leave them. He put the cookies on her desk and let her know that he was going to tinker on his workshop, messing around with some new electronics he found in the salvage yard. She waited until he was down the stairs before she devoured the cookies. Despite the futility of life, there is nothing more satiating than chocolate.
1: Options of how to die, exactly! Now you're catching on, bright girl that you are. Now I call the first couple of options Fire to do
2: Dinner every night, he'll find me. How so? He'll hear me in here. I'll scream.
1: Scream all you want, Lancha. It's soundproof. No one will hear you. And after a few days, it won't even matter. You'll be too.
0: winter break was just one week away. The entire town was adorned with wreaths, Christmas trees, and the occasional menorah. Millie didn't understand why people got so excited about the holidays. They were just a momentary distraction to fabricate some form of happiness in the face of life's utter meaninglessness. No matter how many times one wished her a Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, she wouldn't say it back. Not that she was a popular person in school to talk to. When she walked down the halls, a wide berth in the foot traffic would always appear. At school, she had a cold demeanor, no matter the time nor the weather, and her pale look and dark clothing had earned her the nickname of Dracula's daughter from the rest of the school body. Mockery was a common occurrence even before she had worn dark clothing. The Fitzsimmons family was seen as the town weirdos, with a tendency to start up bizarre projects with enthusiasm before abruptly abandoning them. Even at their old home, Millie's dad had planned to paint it with expensive soft blue with a cream trim, but gave up once he finished the front of the house. Millie's mom told her that nobody would notice, like when you have a Christmas tree and you position it so the ugly side faced the wall. People noticed. Millie's grandpa often had to help her parents pay the bills they weren't poor but by the end of the month they did always end up having a week of pancake mix and box macaroni and cheese her grandpa was also weird like her parents but he was also a successful high school teacher and business investor so he was given the title of eccentric rather than weirdo some thought millie's father taking the job to teach in saudi arabia was him following his father's footsteps and getting his act together but millie knew he would eventually abandon that project like every other one he started. Meanwhile, while they were gone, she would endure being the social outcast of the town. In the cafeteria, with the sound of hundreds of teenagers talking and laughing, her eyes caught her old elementary school friend. Her name was Hannah. She and Millie were inseparable up to the fifth grade until popularity began to take more precedence for Hannah. The blonde popular girl she was talking with enjoyed her company, but Millie only saw Hannah accepting the crumbs of acknowledgement from popular girls rather than having a real friendship with her. Millie sat alone, as usual, nibbling on the egg salad sandwich with apple slices her grandpa had made for her. She was managing to drown out the noise of the cafeteria by reading the tables of mystery and imagination, but she couldn't help but feel she was being watched. She looked up from her book to see a lanky boy with horn-rimmed glasses and frizzy hair dyed red. Both his ears were studded with silver earrings, and he wore a clean dark leather jacket. He nodded the seat across from her and asked if anyone was sitting there. Millie was confused. Nobody had ever asked to sit with her. She responded that the only person sitting here was her imaginary friend. Another oddity. She never joked with people either. The boy sat down and introduced himself as Dylan, a new student who had just moved from Toledo. He gestured towards the book Millie was reading with fingernails polished black. He recognized it as Poe's work and admitted he loved H.P. Lovecraft and all the classic old scary writers. No one had ever taken an interest in the same stories Millie enjoyed. This conversation was filled with strangeness. Dylan then asked if the school was as lame as it seemed. Millie marked her book, and for the first time in a while, she was engaged in a conversation. They talked through the entire lunch period. Millie even blushed a little when Dylan complimented her on her earrings. Where had he come from? Sure, he said Toledo, but Millie had never met someone so sophisticated and knowledgeable. The bell rang, signaling the end of the lunch period. When Dylan began to clean up, he asked if it was all right If you could join Millie and her imaginary friend for lunch tomorrow, Millie said she didn't mind at all. She had a bit of a pep in her step throughout the rest of the day, but always made sure to keep it subdued so she wouldn't appear even stranger to the other students. Even when she walked home though, she felt a warm feeling on her face, and she doubted it had to do with her black coat and scarf that she bundled herself in to avoid hypothermia. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game that lets you take command of your own team of your favorite Marvel superheroes and villains to take on interdimensional threats like Dr. Doom and Apocalypse in an action-packed, turn-based, squad-tactic RPG extravaganza. Embark on an extensive campaign, completing challenging missions as you fight your way through the expansive Marvel universe, collect valuable loot, enhance the powers of your favorite characters and level up to acquire new gear, unlock formidable attacks and abilities and customize your characters with costumes inspired by the most infamous storylines. Freestyle. Did that get your attention? As we speak, Marvel strike force is celebrating its six year anniversary, but here's the real kicker new users signing up through our link and using the promo code max get an exclusive treat. You'll instantly add the Merc with the Mouth Deadpool to your roster, complete with character shards and anniversary diamond orb and gear. Also, please note that these sponsorships help support the production and the hours we put into creating content for you. So downloading this game using the link in the description and giving it a try would help out this podcast immensely. The game is free, and using the code MAXPOOL gets you a ton of free starting loot. So you got nothing but to gain for giving the game a try right now. Thank you once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.
2: I wrote about it, but I always just thought it was interesting, an idea to play around with. I don't want to die, not really."
0: (laughs) For dinner, Grandpa prepared spaghetti, and he was taken aback in witnessing Millie actually relishing the meal. When he inquired about her sudden moonshift, shift, Millie shared with him that her day wasn't entirely terrible, and she had met someone who was rather captivating. Grandpa inquired, with an insinuating tone, whether this person happened to be a girl or a boy. Millie couldn't help but suppress a smile, but assured him that it was indeed a boy. Their interaction had been friendly, and that was the extent of it. Millie's grandpa was pleased to hear and reminisced about Millie's grandma and how they initially connected through conversation. They were high school sweethearts who continued their journey into the same college. They became engaged during their senior year and married in June right after graduation. His eyes softened and misted over as he lamented the unfortunate reality that Millie never got to meet her. She was truly special. Millie told her grandpa that Their story reminded her of Annabelle Lee. In turn, to Millie's surprise, Grandpa recited a verse. It was many, many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea. Millie was shocked to hear him recite one of her favorite poems. But Grandpa was a literate man. He had read Poe and a lot of other writers. He gazed at Millie with a tinge of sadness in his eyes, explaining that he knew she liked Poe because he was dark and spooky but it was facile for her to romanticize death since it seemed so distant. Poe's attention wasn't about romanticizing death. He wrote about it because he endured the loss of so many people he loved. Millie, not having experienced that profound loss, had never considered her grandpa's feelings, what he felt when grandma fell ill and passed away, and how lonesome it must have been after her departure. Millie expressed her gratitude for dinner and headed upstairs. Yet, when she reached her room, her thoughts weren't consumed by death. They were fixated on Dylan. With her grandpa's words lingering in her mind, she suddenly recited Annabelle Lee, and this time, it resonated more like a poem of love than one of death. It had been a while since she had felt something pierce her heart.
1: Someone who doesn't want to die, you sure spend a lot of time talking about it. But that's the way of things, isn't it? Talk is always
2: easier than action. I think that when I said I wanted to die, what I really wanted was an escape. I didn't want to die, I just wanted my life to be different.
1: Oh, but that's. for the better when the world is such a mean, rotten place, it's much easier and ultimately much more satisfying just to sum it out. Which brings me to my second set of options, much more interesting ones. These are quick and easy for you for the most part, but require a little more effort from me. I'm not complaining though. There's nothing I like more than a good challenge to relieve my (laughs) Bored him. <laughs> say you like dracula
2: don't you why are you going to bite my neck
1: now how would i do that with you inside my belly silly girl i know that you're a dracula fan the kids at your school call you a dracula
0: The following day, Millie sat in anticipation at the cafeteria, eagerly awaiting Dylan's arrival. When she spotted his fire engine red hair, she hoped her excitement wasn't too evident. As he joined her once again, even before they began talking, he pulled out a book from his sleek leather jacket. It was H.P. Lovecraft's Call of Cthulhu. Millie's face struggled to contain a grin. Her heart soared, not just because he presented her with a book but because he thought of her when she wasn't around. He recalled their conversation, remembered the book they discussed, brought it with him the next day and remembered to give it to her. The fact that he remembered her made her blush. Later that evening, upon reaching home, she probably entered her room and delved into the book. Dylan was right. It was peculiar, weirder than Poe's work, and chilling in a way that Millie found captivating. It was the perfect gift Dylan could have given her. Millie wasn't the flower and candy type of girl. After reading a couple stories, she opened up her laptop. Instead of searching for tales of death, she explored stories of love. One by Elizabeth Baron Browning caught her eye, which began, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. She had read it before when she was younger, merely perceiving it as pretty but meaningless words. Now, she comprehended them, understanding the profound feelings that emerge when two people truly comprehend each other. Millie retrieved her black leather journal and pondered. Then finally, you she wrote, You
2: away the black thorny vines that twisted around my wounded heart so it could beat and feel relief from pain. You are a gardener who wakes the plants from the grey, chilly death of winter so that they can blossom again like my heart, a slow-blooming blood-red rose."
0: She read the poem back and emitted a satisfied sigh, not overly dramatic yet imbued with enough heart. Her mood only slightly dimmed when she set her book aside to commence her homework, but even the mundanity of schoolwork couldn't dull the electric feeling in her heart. Saturday afternoon, when most kids were at the malls or the movies, Millie strolled downtown to the public library. It had become her regular weekend routine, finding solace in spending her time in solitude. Today, she wandered the library in search for the perfect dark material. Having finished The Call of Cthulhu, she was disappointed not to find more Lovecraftian literature on the shelves. Her heart skipped a beat when she saw Dylan in the same book section, what were the odds that the stars would align to meet him outside of school they once again started up a beautiful conversation on horror literature with millie lamenting how she couldn't find any more books by lovecraft with a thoughtful expression dylan scanned the shelves and handed her a thin book with a black cover the lottery and other stories by shirley jackson it wasn't lovecraft but dylan assured her It was the perfect author to continue her horror pursuits. Dylan handed her the book and offered the seat next to him where he was reading. Millie accepted, trying her best not to show how delighted she was. Talking with Dylan was enjoyable, but the quiet times with him were nice too. Reading through the whole book with her mouth hanging open, something Dylan commented on a few times while she was reading, she completed it. Dylan invited her to the cafe next door for some tea, an invitation she quickly accepted. She had always walked past the cafe. It looked cute, but she never went inside. Over a hot cup of tea, Millie and Dylan began discussing their aspirations. Millie shared her dream of becoming a librarian, maybe an intelligent looking one who wore a pince-nez. Talking with Dylan and having lunch with him made Millie's days better each morning. She could spend her time waking up looking forward to seeing him and the afternoons dissecting their conversations. On paper, it might seem a bit silly to spend so much time thinking about a boy. But to Millie, Dylan was no ordinary boy. Millie was at home watching her grandpa, wearing a sweater with sewn in Christmas trees, baking cookies. When she asked about the occasion, her grandpa explained he was going to be a chaperone for the Holiday Bazaar at her school and end of the year winter celebration for the student body. Millie thought the event was stupid, just a bunch of people selling ugly Christmas ornaments and low-quality home-cooked meals and desserts. But now her grandpa was telling her that she could go together. Normally she would have said no, but she also thought it would be nice to give the old man something he wanted. Besides. They never went out much. Plus, there was also a chance Dylan could be there, under duress, like her, and they could make fun of the event together. The school halls were adorned with Christmas lights and cut-out snowflakes, with classic Christmas songs playing over the loudspeakers. Millie and her grandpa enjoyed their fill of home-cooked chili and warm sugar cookies before she began wandering around the halls. She pretended to be looking for the craft displays and ugly ornaments for sale, but she was really searching for Dylan. She found him. In the second floor hallway. But not in the way she wanted to. Dylan was standing in front of a booth selling reindeer Christmas decorations made out of candy canes. That was odd. But it wasn't the problem. The issue was that he wasn't alone. Brooke Harrison, a bland, pretty blonde girl, was next to him. They were holding hands and laughing together about some private joke in a very obvious couple way. She turned around and stomped down the stairs before running through the hall to find her grandpa. Someone had commented on her asking, where's the fire, Dracula's daughter? But she ignored them they were all the same she found her grandpa in the cafeteria drinking coffee with a couple of retired teachers all wearing identical ugly christmas sweaters she hissed at him that she wanted to leave grandpa thought at first she was sick but she barked out that she wanted to go he gave them and he was talking with an apologetic look before walking millie to the car Once she was locked inside, she began stifling her sobs as her grandpa tried to figure out what was wrong. But he couldn't understand. He still didn't understand her. He asked if someone said something rude to her, which only made her angrier. Nobody at school said anything to her because nobody at school ever talks to her. Nobody at school cared whether she was alive or dead. Tears didn't stop rolling down her cheeks. Nobody could understand. Nobody simple like the people who got excited over Christmas sweaters, baking cookies, and all the fake happy stuff ordinary people fill their minds with to ward off their fear of death. Millie wasn't afraid of death, though. Right now, with her emotions boiling over, he felt like her only friend.
1: are picky, aren't we? <laughs> For someone who wants the end result, we're awfully fussy about how to achieve it. But there's a lot more options. <laughs> I feel like a waiter talking my way through a menu at a fancy restaurant. The difference, of course, is that one menu you gets you fed, and the other let you did
0: The patient of winter break filled the cafeteria with a louder buzz than usual, families and holiday plans were the talk of the day, and amidst the excitement, Millie sat miserably at her table, finding solace in the company of her books. Unexpectedly, Dylan nonchalantly took a seat across from her, behaving as if nothing were amiss. Casually greeting her, he opened up ketchup packets, seemingly oblivious to any tension. Millie, unable to comprehend his nonchalant attitude, directly questioned how he could just sit across from her. Dylan, remaining unperturbed, explained that this was his regular lunch spot. Millie, adopting a snarky tone, suggested he might prefer sitting with Brooke. Dylan calmly clarified that they had different lunch times. Millie, frustration mounted, then questioned if she was merely his backup plan. His confusion only anticipated her exasperation, but suddenly, a look of realization crossed Dylan's face. Dylan realized that she thought they were dating, or at the very least Millie thought in the future they were going to date. Suppressing her tears, Millie listened as Dylan apologized, expressing that she was smart, pretty, and a great person. However, he clarified that he sought friendship. And he considered her a cool person when they first met his attempt at reassurance only fueled millie's distress she sarcastically remarked on how he must have encountered more interesting people like his girlfriend brooke dylan's expression changed at that and he directly asked if she had ever spoken to brooke millie responded that she never had brooke was quiet and appeared basic and blonde dylan who also questioned why her hair color mattered was disappointed by how Millie, of all people, was judging someone by how they appeared. The ability to not see the hypocrisy of Millie not liking when people judge her appearance, yet she does the exact same thing? Dylan rose from the table, leaving Millie to eat alone again, Resigned to spending the rest of her high school years in solitude. A situation she told herself suited her just fine. As the winter holiday loomed, Millie's mood plunged into deeper despair. The cold air and darkened skies seemed to mirror her internal gloom. The festive display of bright lights and smiling snowmen in people's yards began to grate on her nerves. If she were subjected to walking in a winter wonderland again, she couldn't be held responsible for her actions. All that reminded her were about the lies. The holiday season with its promises of cheers, peace on earth, and the inherent goodness of humanity felt like a series of lies people told themselves. The irony of celebrating such a cheer during a winter, a season synonymous with death, did not escape Millie's notice. During dinner, a day before Christmas Eve, Millie and her grandpa shared a stir fry in a declaration of defiance she announced her decision not to partake in Christmas celebrations this year, refusing to be coerced and happiness by societal expectations. Her grandpa, perplexed by her stance, reminded her that Christmas wasn't about society, but family. He emphasized the joy of families coming together from all over to celebrate. Despite grandpa's planned family gathering the next day, with even Milling's parents joining via Skype, she remained resolute in her refusal to participate. Millie didn't listen, saying she would be present but refused to participate in the festivities. Grandpa Fitzsimmons chagrined and openly told her that she has become particularly unhappy for the past few days. He wondered if it had anything to do with him. He had tried to make her feel comfortable but isn't an expert on what young girls like Millie are dealing with. He suggested that maybe she should go live with her parents in Saudi Arabia instead. Millie erupted, shouting about not missing her parents. Although uncertain of the veracity of her statement, lingering resentment over their absence fueled her anger. When Grandpa probed about potential issues at school or a fault of a friend, Millie vehemently denied having any friends. Frustrated, Millie stormed out of the kitchen and retreated to her room. Closing the door, she sought Solace and Kirk carrions of music on YouTube. The video featuring bats and circling vultures, showcased Kurt carrying growling his morbid lyrics. In his appearance, with black hair, a pale complexion, and perfectly applied black eyeliner, he mirrored her imagined embodiment of death. Millie felt a sense of connection, believing perhaps, unlike others, death might comprehend her.
1: Not boiling? Well, understandable. By all accounts, it is a nasty way to go. People who observed boiling during Henry VIII's times and it was so sickening, they would have preferred to see a hit Oh! There's a good one we haven't talked about yet. Decomplication!
2: He said that like it was a happy word.
1: There are many ways to chop up ahead, of course. And if the blade is sharp enough, it's fairly quick and painless. That being said, the blade isn't sharp enough. Well, poor Mary, Queen of Scots, had to get three hats with the henchman stole old hats before her noggin was liberated from her regal body. The gu- <laughs> guillotine was quick and clean, though. It didn't require any particular s- skill on the part of the executioner. Which made it easy to get rid of all those witch thoughts during the French Revolution. They just lined them up and ran them through a guillotine like an assembly line. Or rather, a disassembly line. <laughs> Saudi Arabia. That's where your parents are, am I right? They still use beheading. as a preferred form of capital punishment. In fact. They use a sword, which I find rather stylish (laughs) and dramatic.
2: Saudi Arabia, where I should be with my parents. They may have been weird, but I loved them. I loved how my dad would tell me the worst puns, or how mom used to read me stories when I was little. They had always made me feel safe.
0: It was Christmas Eve at Grandpa's house and the relentless barrage of Christmas music echoed through the halls. Jingle bells and white Christmas performed by her family with such tone-deaf enthusiasm that a singing competition judge might have suffered a stroke from the caffoni. Despite the booming festivity downstairs, it seemed like everyone had gathered except her absent parents. Grandpa called out, urging her to at least say hello. With reluctance, Millie descended the stairs, bracing herself to get it over with. Her family, adorned in gaudy Christmas attire, surrounded a massive punch bowl that Grandpa must have excavated from his eclectic collection of antiques and knickknacks. A chorus of cheerful Merry Christmases greeted her. Millie was still wearing her usual black getup, which clashed with the bright colors that surrounded her. Her uncle asked if she was going to a funeral or was in mourning. Grandpa had to explain to the family that she wasn't celebrating Christmas this year. Millie had to stifle her groan as the family around her acted either overly confused or dramatically shocked. Her nephews attempted to instill some excitement about gifts, but Millie saw through the materialistic facade. An offer of eggnog from her aunt was declined, likened to drinking snot. Despite various invitations to join the festivities, Millie saw no point when the inevitable end awaited them all. Millie couldn't take it. She had to leave. She told her grandpa without looking at him that she was going on a walk. As she hid out the door, grandpa called for her to remember her coat, but she ignored him. The walk provided no calm. Instead, it intensified the cold. As she circled the neighborhood, All she saw was the relentless display of festive decorations. To her, everyone appeared identical, wrapped up in the same trifles of presents, eggnog, and cheer. It all reeked of hypocrisy. But Millie was different than all of them. She wasn't going to participate. She wouldn't be a hypocrite. Hypocrite. The word stung as it reminded her of Dylan. Dylan had called her a hypocrite, because she judged on appearance but boys even ones who seemed cool like Dylan were fooled by the appearance of girls if they had pretty blonde hair and paid attention to them they believed their saints and geniuses rolled into one hypocrite or not Millie considered herself a truth teller if others couldn't handle the truth it was their problem standing outside grandpa's house dreading re-entry An idea dawned on her. Grandpa maintained power in his workshop, complete with a space heater to prevent electronics from freezing. It offered refuge from the cold and a convenient spot to wait until the family vacated. She opened and closed the wooden workshop door behind her, flicking the light switch as she did. The place was even more cramped than the house. Scraps from flea markets, garage sales, and landfills cluttered every nook and cranny and table. Millie never understood Grandpa's obsession with collecting all this junk. Maybe it was to keep his mind off things? There were old bikes, mechanical toys, and a pile of monkey dolls with symbols. The strangest item among them all was tucked in the corner of the workshop. It was some kind of mechanical bear with a bow tie Top hat and a creepy blank grin. Its outer shell was colored a degrading white and pink, and it was big enough that a person could fit inside its torso if they climbed inside. Perhaps it was part of one of those children's attractions that used to populate the area before they went bust. Millie never went to them, but if they looked as creepy as this clown bear, they produced nightmares. Millie would have loved it, made with a shade of darker tones, they had this uncanny appearance that Millie appreciated. But how did kids find these creepy mascots endearing? Outside, the laughter of her younger cousins playing in the snow reached her ears. Realizing she hadn't secured the workshop, Millie feared they might divulge her whereabouts. Panic set in, and her gaze shifted to the mechanical bear as a potential solution. The bear's belly seemed to act as a mechanical doorway. Millie crawled inside and shut the door behind her. Darkness enveloped her. A welcome reprieve from the garish colors of Christmas sweaters. It was perfect. No one to disturb her. No one to coerce her into singing carols. If she missed Skyping with her absent parents, so be it. It served them right for being so distant. As time passed. Millie's eyes grew heavy. The rhythmic sounds within the machine were surprisingly soothing. And before long, she succumbed to sleep.
1: Of your throat, or it can hit your lower half to bisect you. And bisection is a sure way to go, too. Either way, the job would get done. Maybe I can
2: the door to his open? Worth a shot. I think it
1: would be smooth like a madam guillotine instead of a slow, dull hacking like Mary, and Queen of Scots. But I'm not one hundred percent sure. This will be my first attempt at decapitation. Yes, too, But will also be your last. This
2: stupid torso won't budge. do don't just spring it on me
1: Of others you have been insufficiently grateful to those who have shown you nothing but love and kindness
2: guilty as charged but why are those crimes i have to die for those are crimes that everybody is guilty of from time to time true
1: that's why they're crimes of humanity
2: but if there's something all humans are guilty of then why do I have to die for them?
1: Because
0: Fitzsimmons was cleaning up the dishes when the rest of the Fitzsimmons clan was preparing to open kids. The kids were of course excited. They barely were able to hold on to their hot cocos. When the kids asked if they should go get Millie, Millie's uncle Rob asked why would they care if she was acting like a brat. Grandpa Fitzsimmons frowned at that word. She wasn't a brat. She was just at a difficult age. She would come around. She just needed to experience life at her own pace, and when she was ready to open up, he'd be there if she needed him. Grandpa crouched under the tree and arranged all the presents in a big pile, so they'd be there for her when she came back. Thus ends tonight's program of Into the Night. Thank you so much for listening. If you like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. It truly helps us broaden our reach. Consider following us on our Twitter at Fazbear Podcast, joining on our Discord, or supporting us on our Patreon or merch store using the various links in the description below. Next time, we've returned back to the Game Can Lord this series to cover the adventures of of Gregory in the brand-new Freddy Fazbear Mega Pizzaplex. That's right, up next is Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach, but we are not just making a summarization of the series. The next string of episodes will be a full-on audiobook rendition of the entire Security Breach plot, interspersed with editions of the Tales from the Pizzaplex series in between. I hope you look forward to it. It should be one of our best couple of episodes yet. Speaking of which, this episode was a lot of work, and I had a ton of help on it. Count the Ways is by far the most popular story of the Fazbear Fright Saga, and possibly the most famous FNAF novella, and I wanted to do it justice. So, I'd like to thank the talented at Springy and the Cartoon Studio, so... I'd like to thank the Talented Springy for her amazing performance as Funtime Freddy, as well as Aaron for voicing Millie Fitzsimmons. As always, I have been your host Nick, and I would like to thank you all once again for listening. Have a good night, and drive home safe. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.